0: Some women impersonate Sex in the City's Carrie Bradshaw with vast closets full of fantastic clothing. Even Sarah Jessica Parker pretends to be Carrie Bradshaw when she walks the red carpet. However, there is one woman in New York City who, if he knew her, would have been Darren Starr's real muse. Let me introduce you to Susan S. Warner the adorable petite blonde who at 59 lost her handsome, extraordinary husband to cancer six months after her wonderful 32-year-old son died by suicide. It's now four years later. After the most challenging days and nights, Susan decided to live her best life possible. And just like that, Susan was suddenly single. Carrie may have Susan beat on exposure, but Susan has Carrie beat on life's experiences. Listen in. There are not many discussions and articles about relationships, sex, and aspirations for singles after 50. Millennials and Gen Zs, those who dominate the media, primarily portray all seniors in retirement mode. Susan S. Warner, who suddenly found herself single at the age of 59, is here to tell you that life is not the media portrayal for the over 50 crowd that you see. They want to travel, embrace adventure, start new careers, explore their sexuality, and live life to the fullest. Fasten your seatbelt. Susan is gonna tell you what's really happening out there. Susan, how nervous were you on your first
1: date? Wow, Lois, we're jumping right in, aren't we? (laughs) Absolutely. How (laughs) How nervous was I on my first date? Um, I had done some dating app work. So after setting up my profile and um, doing the chat through text to the dating apps, I was getting more comfortable with the process. However, my first date was a setup from a friend of my brother's, a very kind doctor in New York who set me up with his friend. I think I was nervous, but I think I was more excited. I was ready to jump in. That's not the answer I thought I was going to get. That's really
0: strange. You must have been feeling very confident about yourself.
1: Um, As I said, after chatting with quite a few men on um, apps, where you have the opportunity to have a wall there, you're not really meeting them. If you didn't go FaceTime, it's all chit-chat. I was feeling more confident. Funny that you say that, because the first date happened in a massive snowstorm which I thought it was going to get canceled. So my whole anticipation of you know, having my hair blown and really looking good and picking out the outfit I thought was going to be shot. We did end up going on the date at the Lincoln in uh, my neighborhood at Lincoln Center. And he was the ex-husband of a celebrity and basically spoke about her the entire date. So mm. there was a lot of comedy to it. Um, this is when I say I go home and, and, you know, regale the whole thing to my dog and told him the entire situation and, and laughed about it a little bit because it really wasn't a date for me. It was a date to hear about his ex-celebrity wife. So I think it broke the ice easier than I had anticipated as well. But I like I like dating. I like meeting people. I like new people. My daughter laughs and says I'm a good person to invite to a party. So I didn't hate the process.
0: Wow. That's interesting for people to learn. That's a really good lesson there because most people don't like the process. They feel completely insecure
1: and they judge the date on their insecurity, but they don't know that. Well, that's a good point. I will tell you that it took me a while to get to the party. So I did not embark on anything for over a year from the time my husband passed away. So it took me a while to get to this party. And once I got to it, I kind of looked forward to the, the dinging of the phone and seeing who was looking at me and having the chit-chat and flirting. I suppose I flirt. So I did not hate the process. So then I have to ask you,
0: weren't you ever concerned that whether you liked them or not, that your ego would get bruised if they didn't call you back?
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> but... Uh, there's a but to that. So I'm an independent college counselor by profession, and I pitch clients. And you know this as well. If they don't choose me, I don't take it personally. There's lots of reasons not to choose me. It could be my fee structure. It could be my attitude. It could be my approach to something. So as though I consider myself sensitive, maybe I was a little um, tougher skinned on this because everybody isn't right for everybody. So I was okay with that. I, I, I there was there was a the plethora of people to choose from. You know, when you go on dating apps, there's a lot of people out there. So I could move on. And if someone didn't like me, like I liked them, or didn't pursue the conversation, or something I said struck them the wrong way, I was okay with that. I didn't really personalize it so much, which was probably a really good attitude. You know what? That is really. I hope a lot of people
0: that are on this. Uh, adventure like you are, listen to what you just said, because I think that is super important for their attitude going into this situation. That is great. So that that leads me to, do you ever feel like running away during a date because, and there's so many because <laughs> There are
1: so many because's, because he didn't like me, because he wasn't nice to me, because he wasn't interesting, because there was no attraction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there were several times that I was thinking I gotta get out of here. But for the most part, there's so much vetting done by phone today. Everybody is so into texting and talking and FaceTiming that by the time the date occurs, it's not like the you know quote unquote blind date anymore. You really have talked to this person and established some sort of relationship and gone through the preliminary six degrees of separation, who we know, where you went to school, where you grew up, how many children you have that the whole running out was not that common. Um, There was one man I dated who I was not particularly attracted to. And I went on a really wet, miserable night, cross town, uh, downtown cross town, not, not very convenient. And from the moment I stepped foot in this restaurant, he found me neither interesting or attractive. And it was a brutal, brutal, never wanted to end kind of thing. And I have this terrible habit that if you do that to me, I kind of want to play with you a bit. So I probably said that I was an axe murderer or something. I probably made up something really horrible just to Mm -hmm. get a rise. But yes, I could not wait to hit the pavement and get back on the subway to the West Side. I distinctly remember that date. But as I said, there's so much vetting done and so much conversation and so much Conversation that you really I really never went into a date with Oh God, this is going to be awful or this is awful it was usually pretty interesting, so I have to challenge you with two things
0: after okay. you' said that one is uh, I thought when when I wrote this question in my head that you might be comparing every date that you go on or every man that you meet to Michael because you had. Such a wonderful 38 years with him. He was gorgeous, mm-hmm. intelligent, caring, everything that a woman would want in a man.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, having so I know so many widows and widowers that just can't get beyond that because they were really passionately in love with their spouse. So, tell me what that feels like when you're out with someone, even the celebrity's husband, who you would think, well, a celebrity certainly knows how to pick a great guy. So, mm-hmm. I mean, so what goes through your brain when you're looking at them? Do you see Michael? Do you feel like, oh my God, how can I go from Michael to this, or, mm-hmm. or, uh, or you know, or this is you know uh, something that I just don't, you know, the avenue that I just don't want to go on? What goes on in your brain
1: in that in that regard? Insightful question. So I made up my mind very early on that I was not going to go back into or look for what I had. What I think I had was quite unique. Um, it was a, I met Michael at 21. I married at 22, very young, never expected that. Um, I realized that I needed to find something different to make a right turn that was different. I never thought a point of, if I, if I held that bar, and only wanted to compare everything to Michael, I wasn't going to ever date. So I, I'm looking for the same core values, the same kindness, the same respect, the same humor, um, but, but things are different. And I know at this point in my life, I need to look for different. It's not healthy to try to replicate for me. For other people, maybe it is. For me, it was not. So I was definitely looking for something different. It's interesting that after it's now been five years, and after being in therapy and having a wonderful therapist, when I said that to her recently, her comment was maybe it's not that you're looking for something different, maybe you've changed. And that was seismically rocking to my world. And maybe I have changed. Well, I have changed. But again, the core values are the same, the fringes are different. But again, I always knew that replication was not the answer for me. And and do I compare now? Of course I do. Do I sometimes long? Of course I do. But I know pragmatically that there are wonderful people out there and that I don't believe that there's only one love and that that is feasible. Just different. And loving differently. I will, I love the next person differently. We don't have children together. We don't, we didn't grow together. We don't have that history. We both have families and children and complications and friends and circumstances that made us who we are. So I don't love the same, but I love. And that's important. I don't love the same, but I love differently. But there were certain
0: comforts that you got used to in a relationship, and that has to come up once you form a relationship with someone, something that you used to get that you don't get now. That must be,
1: you know, a comparison. Yes, but life is changeable and different and compromising. There are things that Michael supplied me that probably no one else ever will. But then there are other things that other men can give me that maybe he didn't. I think of my marriage as being very complete, but I'm not unrealistic to think that I've changed and I'm older now. And, and, you know, the brain can't comprehend when you age a person, like you'll never dream of your parent what they look like today. It's impossible. Well, I can't project where I would be today with my husband. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to take my new relationships and my new experiences and make them the here and now. And that's really good and really healthy, I think. So comparisons, yes. Crippling, no. Loving differently, yes, but still loving.
0: Hmm. So my second question is because I said I had two comments based on what you, what you answered was, um, I want your opinion about this kind of action from a single person. I fix up Lisa, and I want to say her name because it still irritates me today about what happened <laughs> with, with someone and uh-huh. uh, with someone—a very eligible guy, very intelligent, Columbia University graduate, great writer, good-looking guy, but a little on the short side. So <laughs> she got to the bar earlier than he did. She watched from a distance. Uh, him entered the bar. She decided he was not for her, and she skipped out the other end. And I found out about that afterwards, and I'm still furious to this day that uh, I never got an apology or she behaved like that on my, you know, I I feel on my behalf.
1: What is your reaction to that? Shame on Lisa. If you are at the point in your life that you haven't grown past an immediate decision, shame on you. People have so much to give. And I will say this to a young person as well. Don't judge a book by its cover. And also, she lost. She lost out. I'm sure he's a wonderful guy. And she lost out on a great opportunity. So, I mean, shame on her. That And that, if that behavior in of itself is inexcusable. Because even if you think that, that person deserves the time that they invested in it, and not to be hurt like that. So I find that behavior inexcusable
0: on both sides, men and women. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So were you guilty the first time you kissed another man?
1: Is kiss really the answer you want to ask, the question you want to ask? Sure. (laughs) Was I guilty when I first kissed another man? No, I don't function from guilt. I had intellectualized it. I knew what was coming. I was excited and and um, thrilled and and titillated and excited. No, I was not guilty. I don't function from guilt. So if I'm going to embark people... on this, then I'm going in it.
0: So why do most people feel that way? I just spoke to somebody yesterday, and it's like three years. You know, where this gentleman lost his spouse, his wife, and he said mm-hmm. to me yesterday, "I'm still not ready." I mean. Why
1: can some people function and other people feel the guilt or the disloyalty? Some people are more sexual than others. Let's start with that. And some people enjoy this the sexual encounter for the phys- physicalness as well as the emotional part. I'm not sure when you first embark on that, the kiss or sleeping with someone, it has to be full on emotion, 100% in it, it could be lost. And and I'm all in on that. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. We're, you know, functioning people. I think people hide behind, I still feel guilty because they don't want to go out there. And that's a, that's a really easy thing to hide behind because people say, oh, I understand. So I think that, that that's a crutch. I don't think that guilt is a healthy emotion. I think it's a negative emotion and that it's a waste of brain space. You can't fight a ghost, particularly in widowhood or even in divorce, because it's it's a finality as well. There's no sense in, in holding yourself back for someone that doesn't exist here physically. So I think that people who say that are hiding, I think they're using it as an excuse. And maybe they just don't enjoy the sexuality of life. And that's a reason not to go back in. I think after this podcast, you're going to get a lot of calls.
0: (laughs) <laughs> okay. <laughs> Every call you get, I want a thousand dollars. You got it. That's the deal. <laughs> you no, know, you, know, you know what? I'll do one better. Every call that you get that you went on a date and you liked, <laughs> then you can give me a thousand dollars. Okay. Okay, but,
1: but part of this bet is you can't give out my number. Okay.
0: No, no that's that's very true. <laughs> so, that's very true. But you know that's that is I think going to be very helpful for anybody that listens to that podcast because you twisted. Their brain um, in sales, they tell you, or in pitching stories, they say, if somebody gives you a no, it's because you didn't give them the proper or enough information. What you just said is you're, you know, that you're you're telling yourself the wrong story, and you're coming exactly. up with the wrong outcome, out, outcome. So thank you very Correct. much for that, Susan. That was great. Um, sure. So all right. So then, you know, let's get a little deeper. How often? Were you thinking of your husband when you're intimate with other men?
1: Does it again, ever like
0: I don't, you know like, like a Woody Allen movie does Michael's face <laughs> Michael's no. gonna, Michael up there no. is loving me right now but, <laughs> but but his face doesn't like come and like you know no. r- right in front of you when you hear something that you heard no.
1: you know no. 15 years ago I am fortunately in the moment when I'm in the moment and I do not do that again If you do that, you're battling someone who's not here. And and I'm going to give it the word ghost because I don't know what other phraseology to use, but no, I, I am not the person that projects another person or would project my husband. Our intimacy was our own and unique and ours. Whatever leads to that situation with someone else is unique and ours. And I am very, um, I think it's very important to stay in the moment with the person you're in the moment with. You know, if someone calls you by someone else's name once or twice or vice versa, you must forgive that. That's old habits die hard. And I don't think that's a projection of their thinking about someone else. I think old habits die hard. And I've been apologized to for a man or men who have referred to me by another name occasionally, and I completely understand. But again, I don't feel guilty. And I don't think the guilt is healthy. And if you're going to embark on new relationships and new intimacies, you need to put that aside. So no, that is not a problem I have. And that is not a situation I've been in. Hmm. I'm not uh, sure that's the answer you want, no, <laughs> but it's no, no,
0: no. It's very insightful and it's very important, uh, but I don't know. how. I, to-
1: I think that separating sex. From relationships or past relationships is really important the the act of sex the sex the intimacy is of itself its own has its own life. so I think that partners deserve to have partners in it in the moment they need to be in it together and not fantasizing or thinking about someone else or something in the past and I think that if you're um, proficient at it and you like it, you can hold your partner's attention. And that's really important. And as a partner, you need to stay in it with whoever you're in it with, because it of itself is its own activity, and it doesn't have to be for always for profound love. It can be for the lust of the situation. So stay in it, being the head of the person you're with. I think that's really important. So from now on, I'm going to call you
0: Doctor Sex Susan, a Susan (laughs) Sex. Please no, no. but no. But I have to say that. Anyone who's in a relationship with you, if they don't feel that passion or attention from you, they're gonna know it's over right away. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I guess I'm giving up way too much, right? Yes, That's very absolutely. True. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks. You know, I mean but 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 it's very obvious because a lot of people, you know, if they have another problem going on, you know, during the day or there's some other thing that, you know, gets their attention. They don't do exactly what you just said. It's not always in the
1: moment for them. So right, and that's it, that's in a in a well-received marriage as well. It's not mm-hmm. always in the moment. So I think it's it's a guideline for people in general is that you know the, the healthiest thing is to stay in the moment.
0: Don't go okay. anywhere else. so we have we have discussed this question, and it may be something I listed later on, but I'm going to ask it to you now. You know what uh widows and widowers you know how is the sex different than a uh a relationship you've had for 38 years is the sex different what happens uh you know and what should people understand about that or what should they expect or what should they not be disappointed in what should
1: they be surprised about okay let's deconstruct that because there's many aspects to that first of all when you come out of a long-term marriage you've been together a long time. So familiarity often kicks in where um, I believe in many relationships, not all, but the imagination and the creativity may wane. So when you embark on a new relationship, and and i said this in my book, Never Say Never, Never Say Always, that when you are given this mulligan this do-over you find out how a new man looks at you touches you makes love to you it's all new and it's exciting it's different you know the the relationship you had with your long-term spouse may have been wonderful but there could be more wonderful and new explorations and new ideas and and a lot of the familiarity is gone so you learn to find out how he wants to be touched, what he likes that your husband or didn't, and what you like that maybe time had passed and you didn't weren't quite as imaginative as you are now. And you stopped asking or 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 familiarity creeped in and it became a little bit more robotic than it is when it's someone new because someone new approaches it with newness. Mm -hmm. So as when you were young and you were dating several people or having relations with several people, there was newness and excitement to every new relationship. Well, there is with this, too. There's just so much exploration because every person is different. Every woman is different. Every man is different. You've been with someone possibly for decades who did things probably the same way unless it was a very inventive lover, and there are those. Probably it was pretty traditional or or pretty um, prescribed because that's what you were used to, and that's great and fine. And I'm not judging anyone, but all of a sudden you get all this newness of someone who has a whole different set of rules and 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 technique and excitement. And I think it breeds newness and excitement.
0: Hmm. At least that's been my experience.
1: That certainly is encouraging. It it's been my experience. There's a lot of very exciting opportunities out there and newness. And, and if you're up for it, then it's there for the taking. I think that's great. Okay. So everyone who's listening to this
0: is now thinking, oh my God, I wish I look like Susan and, you know, was physical all this time in terms of, you know, getting my body into shape. So how do most people approach sex with a body of a woman in her 50s? And you could, or and sixty, could reverse or and say, seventy. How do men
1: feel about that way? Right. With bodies, bodies. You know, that was going to be 20. my first point. Don't make this female centric because men's bodies change too. Right. And you have no history with this person, so there's no mourned lost body. So when I met my husband at 21, oh my! I mean, you know, that was a whole different animal. And then I, you know, had children and I aged through the process, and I mourned a lost body, you know, of who I was but I don't have that now. I'm proud of who I am at my age. And I've worked at my body and it is what it is, and there are things I can't change and things I don't like, but it's what I've got and he didn't know me before. So it's easier, I think, that because you're both aged and you don't have any other expectations. However, that being said, you also can do this any way you want. You know, I think it's funny that Sarah Jessica Parker in Sex and the City had a clause that she never would be seen nude and she would never take her bra off. Don't don't if you don't want to. Do things how you want to do it. Do this your way. You have earned it. And if you want to, to have sex with your clothes on or partially clothes, go for it. If you are proud of your body, then display it. But there's no body Mourned. You are not twenty. He's not twenty. He doesn't have the body of a thirty-year-old anymore either. So respect what you've got and be proud of what you have and work with that. Hmm. Well, I hope everybody
0: listens to that. <laughs> um, did you ever feel like you were you are cheating at all when you know you're in a relationship with someone else because you've been married so long?
1: No. No, I'm going, to, I'm going to simply close that with no. Cheating and guilt do not enter into my brain. No. Okay, then why would somebody
0: want to hook up with a new partner after a long marriage? I mean, there are people out there that say, oh, that's it. I was married. I had it. I'm not doing that again. It's crazy. And, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a a big question that I think
1: most people have. Really? (laughs) I'm going to start with, I like men. I like being in a relationship. I like intimacy. You are not dead after your spouse dies. You are the full life to live. And that includes sex and companionship and conversation and friendship. So there's no reason to throw in the towel. Now, if you are a person that doesn't want that, then you are entitled to whatever you want if you don't want to date ever again and you don't want to be with men because for whatever reasons those are don't but if you are a woman that enjoys intimacy and sex and relationships and and physicalness then what you're you're alive and vital go out there and explore safely but go out there and explore this your spouse is no longer with you if you're divorced or has passed away they're not going to supply you with what we as humans crave. So you are entitled to go, to go into the world and seek out someone else who can give you those things back. It will make you a fuller and more satisfied person if you want it. If you don't want it, I, I just have to respect that. Okay. If there are married couples who don't have sex, who aren't intimate, You know, I've been told by people that they exist. So people make choices, married or not married. You know, together, and and I don't want to, I'm sorry to qualify that as married or not married because you don't need to be married to have relationships. Mm -hmm. So together in a relationship or not, people choose their sexuality and and how they want to explore it. So it doesn't have to be qualified with post-marriage or not. It's your next step in life. It's your choice. It's your gift.
0: Well, that brings me up to, to something that I just heard the other day. And I want to ask you your opinion. If you're a woman and you're in a relationship or you're, and you're married and you went through menopause and all of a sudden you lost your sex drive, how do you deal with that after you lost your spouse and you meet somebody new? Like, you know, who are you? What do you do?
1: Okay, so I'm going to double that down on why don't you bring Cialis or Viagra into the conversation as well.
0: Okay, thank so you. So
1: here you're a woman who has gone through menopause, and your sex drive has possibly changed, and so has the physicalness of your body. And, and there's a man who's gone through his menopause, so to speak, and so is his, but he has drugs that can help him along the way, and yours are more limited. So that's a really interesting question because when I was married, I thought, well, this is really unfair. Men are having affairs with younger women and satisfying them because they can find drugs that make them more potent. And women can take um, hormones and there is hormone replacement and there's you know, hormone work that you can do, but there isn't a safety level with that. It's questionable as there is to Viagra and Cialis. So there's an inequality there that um, is a whole sociological conversation. But if managed properly, women can use products that help them with their sex drive and with the physical changes in their body, estrogen replacement, estrogen um, creams and inserts, etc. And then they can manage men who are taking um, erectile dysfunction products to make them more viral. Mm-hmm. So that is a an interesting dance that people have to do. If you realize all women do not lose their sex drive with menopause, that is a fallacy. Some women do. Some it wanes, some have no effect whatsoever, some it's gone. But again, I think a lot of that is how you keep your head in the game because although there are physical changes and they can be helped with uses of, of um, medical drugs, you have to want it as well. And you have to believe in yourself and and like it. All people don't love that. Right. But you have to balance men's version of this as well. And that is with the help that they get through Viagra and Cialis. And you have to talk about it and work it through. Because this is real. And you need to have conversations about it. And I think that's important in having sex after 50 or 60 is talking about it Anyway, you have to, things change, and you need to talk about it, and you need to have conversations and explore what works and what doesn't work.
0: That's great advice, really great advice. Um, So the next natural question would be for people over 50 is that, you know, there are a lot of articles about sexuality transmitted diseases. Yep. Uh, sexually transmitted diseases. And yeah, people, I got
1: it. Like, I knew what you're talking about. How do they deal with that issue? Because it's frightening. It's also very silent. There's very few articles you will read in contemporary magazines, and I'll, I'm going to say, you know, Vanity Fair, Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, AARP, call me, because this is a very real problem, that there is an enormous amount of sexually transmitted diseases in, do I have to use the word senior, seasoned? people mm-hmm. in our population. You've been in a marriage, um you don't you know what you're dealing with if if herpes was an issue, which is a huge issue in this country and 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 it's not any, you know, it's it's fine, particularly after childbirth there really isn't a whole lot of danger to it, but it needs to be dealt with. So, I mean, I there's a huge number of of herpes infected people in our population like like well over 50%. Not a problem, it just has to be dealt with with antivirals. Um there's you know, gonorrhea and syphilis and all those things, and and if you hook up with a partner who has had multiple partners, you don't know what their situation is. You know, I once went on a date with a man who I was fixed up with, who told me that he had 40 partners after his divorce, you know, in a series of like three or four years. I mean, I was like, really? And I said, well, do you test? And he said, no. And I said, well, good for you. You know, I'm out. (laughs) Yeah, right. A A lot of people who enter relationships ask for testing, which tests herpes, HPV, hepatitis, and then the traditional um, venereal diseases. HPV is huge. I mean, that has really serious repercussions because HPV in a woman can manifest itself in long-term in throat cancer for men. And that's, that's a huge variant. So I strongly believe in testing and being honest with your partner or partners. And there are condoms. I mean, people do use them. There's a lot of pushback on it, particularly in my generation, where it wasn't as popular as it was in younger people, but that is an alternative, but simple testing is also very possible. I mean, hepatitis is is major, HPV major. So that's something that really needs to be addressed, and a passion does sometimes take over in that, that you didn't expect to sleep with someone, and the date went Wonderfully, and then you end up in bed, and then it's after the fact, and oops, you know, you're not getting pregnant, but oops. Mm -hmm. So, I think that in anybody who is thinks that there might be who isn't just in it for recreational sex because then use a condom. If you think that there's a long term here, you should try to curtail your passion and maybe insist on a blood test first and not to be that person, but just for everybody's safety. And there's nothing wrong. With taking the HPV vaccine later in life, it is available for both men and women. And you might want to think about that.
0: So that is a deep topic, and it leads me to what are the complications in new relationships after 50?
1: (laughs) Where do you want to start? I mean, you've got a lifetime that you've lived that has made you who you are be it be a death or divorce or singlehood, you've lived a lifetime with a full life and now you're trying to merge two lives. So you need to find boundaries and and common ground where you want to merge these lives. Do you want to go all in and and get married and live together or whatever and and make it all one big Brady bunch, which I actually don't think is feasible. Some people do. Or do you want to set boundaries in what works for you? You know, you've had sexual partners, you've had children, you've had friends, you've had experiences, you've had a career, and now, and you haven't grown together. You grew with somebody else or grew apart. So now you're starting from square one and the rules are changing. How much of of your autonomy do you want to keep intact? How much do you want to merge? How dependent are you? How independent are you? So that's a dance. You have to be with someone and establish the dance and decide where you want to go with it. It is probably the most conflicting part of a second stage relationship is how how are you going to meld two lives? It's not the same when you were looking for DNA and a father for your children and a long-term partner. It is not the same. You know, you're 65. Do you want to date someone 75? Are you willing to carry on a committed relationship with someone 10 years older who when you're 75 they're 85 do you want someone when you're a 65 year old man do you want to date a 40 year old and maybe consider that she's going to want a child or that she's going to have to be a surrogate grandmother to your grandchildren when she's only got a 14 year old of her own Mm -hmm. there's a whole lot of complications this is a very it's it's entering into a relationship second time around in this part of your life is super complicated and nobody devotes the time to those complications. They're like, Oh, you're free and easy. And you know, you've amassed whatever money you have and you live an independent life and you know, you don't have to make dinner for everyone and nobody's living with you and you can do what you want. It's not like that at all. It's very complicated. It's it's more complicated than the initial relationship that you entered into. I think. Mm then why would somebody want more
0: complications in their life, especially after a tragic loss?
1: Because how much much can
0: one human being take?
1: (laughs) I, I don't think that I'm fulfilled as a solo animal. And I am very independent. And I have written in my book that men love my independence and love my brain, but punish me for it at the same time. You know, it's that aspirational fantasy thing about that woman who is independent but can still love me. Do you really want that? You have to know yourself to know, do I really want that? But I don't want to go through the rest of my life alone. I love sharing my life. I love being a part of a couple. I love a companionship of a man. I like sex. I like intimacy. It's just a question of the balance and how much and where it fits in. And how you make the pieces to the puzzle work. But I don't want to go through this life solo. I don't. I know I don't. And it gets harder to find people that fit the criteria or that want you or you want them. It's not as big a pool anymore. And you've got, as a woman, you've got men that are looking to date 40-year-olds or women 15 years younger than they are. And that's their prerogative, but it, it limits the pool. You know, I know I probably cannot be with a man fifteen years younger than I am. I know that's probably not feasible on sheer maturity yeah and, and i'm surprised and, I'm surprised yeah. to hear you say that
0: because uh you may want more from somebody younger than somebody
1: older or somebody fifteen years is a lot. fifteen years is a lot. I think that there's life experiences. I'm not sure any man fifteen years younger than I am is really going to want to watch me with my granddaughter. I think that there's a maturity that comes with that. I'm not saying, you know, five years, 15, they're still raising their children. And I've got a granddaughter Mm -hmm. and I'm, and I'm, I'm wiser. And um, I think that that's important too. So I think that you have to decide what you want. mm -hmm. Well, but I Look don't. Like, I know I don't want to. I don't want to travel this road alone. I like companionship. I like. I like everything that goes with it. So tell us how
0: you place yourself first. Yeah, I know you've mentioned to me in many of our discussions that you know you have to when you think of all your relationships and everything that you
1: must come first. Hmm. I I don't think that's worded properly. I think that I have values that probably place. My granddaughter and my daughter, my son-in-law, first. And Winston, my dog, first. <laughs> no, okay. I, don't think it's, I don't think it's me first. It's, it's my life first. So let's distinguish that. My life are those things that I hold very dear. And as deeply as I can love another man, they must understand that my granddaughter and my daughter and Winston are paramount to me. You know, they are my constant. And, and then that does extend to my family and my dear friends. I've established this core unit that is so loving and so good and so caring that I will not sacrifice them. I'm not that woman that like could date a man for whatever reasons that everybody finds like offensive or doesn't like and, and alienate them and say, well, it's good for me. I'm not that person. I need acceptance by my unit, my core unit. And I need people to buy in to whoever I'm with because that has to meld and it has to work together in harmony. It cannot work autonomously. So when I say me first, me first is me defined by my world and then how I integrate the relationship. It's not Susan selfish. And Susan has to you know, do this or do that, or buy this or buy that, or go here or go there. It's Susan and her world. But there are, there is a sense of independence to me where there are nights I want to be alone, and there are things that I like to do solo, and there's time I need to spend with me. My biggest growth from this whole experience of losing, of loss, has been being comfortable when I close the door and I'm by myself. I just came back from the Hamptons to my New York apartment, which is my jewel box. And I've missed it. I've been out there since May. And coming home to my face, to my beautiful face that's independently mine and beautiful and gentle and soft is extraordinary. It, it makes me feel so good. But it's not a selfishness. It's, it's discovering that I'm happy with me, which I think if most people can discover will make us all better off.
0: Right. Well, I don't know how most men would react to that <clears throat> because they want to be number 1 or some woman wants to be number 1. So it's uh, you know, it takes a sophisticated guy or a sophisticated gal to understand the larger world, you know, uh your larger life and be able to deal with it. It's not easy for a lot of people that I know. Anyway, I'm glad you right.
1: you, you you know you defined that better. But I'm hoping that those people have their own worlds and lives, too, Mm -hmm. so that they want to embark on what's important to them and their explorations as well, so that we both have our interests and our values and our needs. And then it's like a Venn diagram, and then we find the middle. You know, when the circles cross, we find the middle where it works for both of us, ever seeking that Venn diagram. Mm Right.
0: Right. Um, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I know a lot of couples that get together, they decide late in life, I'm talking about couples, they decide that their unit is like the most important unit for, the, for that to work. And they're mm-hmm. the family. And, you know, while they're very devoted to their children and their grandchildren, and their friends, you know, especially as we get older and things happen to us, you know, Uh, in sickness and in health, uh, you know, that they have to know that they're the family first.
1: Yeah, I understand that. And everybody has to find what works for them. Mm -hmm. You you know, you asked me specifically, um, but whatever works for any couple, if that's the formula that is best for them, good for them. As long as they find happiness and respect, everybody's got their own formulation on this. This sounds
0: a little redundant, but what goals should a widow or widower have for themselves?
1: Not redundant. Find happiness. Find what makes you happy. And that doesn't necessarily have to mean the same goals that you had before you lost the person that you lost. But pursue those things that make you happy and that make you fulfilled and make you smile. Because ultimately, that's what's going to get you through the next few decades, I think. It's not complicated.
0: Yeah. That's very true. If you're happy, you're going to live longer or you're going to live happy. I mean, for whatever time is left, you want it to be happy, for sure. Yep. You don't want yep. yeah, you, do, you don't want to cast any other misery
1: on yourself that you don't have to have. Right. So, yeah. but those aspirations of, you know, I want three children and I want, you know, two boys and a girl or I want to amass wealth or I want to do this or I want to do that, that that should kind of fail. Right. So now <laughs> if it's traveling, travel. If it's You know, for me, it was horseback riding or, you know, writing this book, then that's what it is. But find those things and pursue what makes you happy. It will make you so fulfilled and fulfillment at any age and particularly at this point is paramount and it's so joyous. I'm so proud of this book and I'm so proud of this endeavor and I can't tell you, and it has really made me very fulfilled. And that's incredible. that's
0: That's a fabulous feeling. But a lot of people have never felt that. So, you know, they may understand what you're saying, but can't relate to it because.
1: But if you you want to be a a, a great golfer, then go golf. If you want to, you know, if you want to immerse yourself in extraordinary charity work, then, then find those charities. You want to become the best art critic you can, then take those classes. It's all throwing away the laziness and doing what makes you happy. And and it's all out there for us to do. It's just doing it. And I have to respect those people that do it. And I'm proud to say that I think I'm one of those people that decided to embark on what makes me happy. And it makes me happy.
0: Right. So how has the world today changed the life of a widow and widower?
1: I think that the world is more accepting. Uh, you know, I always, my dad was widowed young at 53. My mom died at 49. And I remember all of the problems that, you know, people forget you and uh, forget a woman who's widowed. You know, every, every woman of her friend of hers is going to be jealous that she's going after her husband. I have found zero of that. I also think that women who are widowed are, or widowers are more viable. That we are real people and we're a real market and we are we are viable people the only thing i think hasn't changed is it's easy for a man easier for a man than it is for a woman we, people fix men up men are eligible quote unquote women have a harder time well because also, men are, are younger there's more men. widows yeah exactly i don't think exactly. it's just that i think that everybody rushes to fix up the widow you know he's eligible and you know he can make her happy but not vice versa i don't think people are as willing to fix up women Mm -hmm. That's the only thing that I think has stayed stagnant. But overall, women's independence, being an independent woman is more acceptable. Traveling with women or by yourself, doing things by yourself as a woman is more acceptable. No one looks at me strangely if I sit and have dinner alone or if I go to the theater by myself or if I sit alone in a movie theater. No one looks at me strangely. Um, and people accept me. I, I, I have also written in the book how I have friends who have so embraced me for me and not for, as I deemed it, Michael and Susan, one word. Right. They have mm-hmm. really said, you are viable and whole by yourself, and we love your company, and we don't need a fourth. Now, are they wonderful in accepting me with someone? Some people are. Some people have a harder time. But they when that isn't the case, they are very accepting of me for Susan. And I really, really appreciate that. Really, really appreciate it. I don't have to be me and a companion. As I said, I want to be me and a companion. But if that person's not around or, you know, not where I am or traveling or unavailable, they don't say, well, we'll make the date another time. No, we want to see you. And I really, really relish that. And have really appreciated and recognized my appreciation in my friends and family for that.
0: Well, that's great. And I hope everybody listens to that because it's mm-hmm. how they position themselves is how they get accepted. So you
1: are a whole person and you don't have to be a unit. You are a whole viable person. Recognize that and everybody else will too. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, this has been very, very, um, exciting, uh, giving everybody mm-hmm. a lot of good thoughts, uh, you know, making everybody feel like they've got a great future. So we certainly appreciate all your information, Susan, and we will do this again very soon. Thanks, Lois. Thank you.